Hey everyone and welcome back. I just wanted to say thank you again to everyone who has reached out with positive feedback and listened and followed this podcast so far. Slowly but surely, the show is starting to reach more people and I have all of you to thank for that. And don't forget, I have started working on my separate podcast that will be released once we reach 1,000 listeners. So if you want to hear it, please make sure you continue to share with people you know to get these cases heard. Hopefully discussing these unsolved murders and disappearances will spark public interest again and catch the attention of someone with information to come forward, and also for law enforcement to take another look at these unsolved cases. So let's get started. In late December of 1979, two longtime friends took off from Moline, Illinois to run an errand, but the two men failed to make their last stop and vanished without a trace. About four months later, they were found dead, and the location of their bodies were right under police's noses for months. These are the murders of Gary Harker and Cody James. On April 24, 1980, two brothers, 25-year-old James Sperling Jr. and 19-year-old Richard Sperling, were in the Davenport area when they came across some vehicles being sold at a police auction. A black 1965 Chevy pickup caught James's eye, so they stopped to take a look. James thought that he could use the truck for spare parts, so he placed his bid and won. He was able to purchase the truck for $140. The brothers had noticed there were a lot of sticks, grass, and other debris in the bed of the truck and figured that they would wait till they got home to clean it out. The brothers lived in rural Muscatine, Iowa, and it was about a 40-minute drive from Davenport to their father's farm. So the brothers got the vehicle they were driving that day and the Chevy pickup home and parked it in the driveway. The brothers had bought the car around 12 p.m. that day, and when they got the truck home and parked it, it had been approximately two hours later around 2 p.m. According to an article in the Quad City Times, the brother's father, James Sperling Sr., said, quote, It was up here in the driveway and it was getting to smelling. We thought someone threw a dead cat or dog in there and dumped the grass on top of it. So we took it down by the field so we could plow under whatever was back there. The men assumed at first that it was probably a dead animal that was buried under all the sticks and debris. About 30 minutes later, at approximately 2.30 p.m., after they got the truck down to the field, James Jr. grabbed a shovel and started scooping the debris out of the bed of the pickup. But he stopped when he saw two sets of boots sticking out from under the grass and branches. James tried to pull on the boots to see what was underneath, but they wouldn't budge. As they continued to check the truck, they discovered that there were bodies connected to the boots and immediately called police. When police arrived on scene, they had confirmed that there were, in fact, two bodies in the bed of the truck and they had likely been there for at least 60 days. Although the bodies were pretty badly decomposed, it was ruled as a possible homicide initially, and the investigation began. Within about 24 hours of the discovery of the two bodies, police were tentatively able to identify the two bodies as 31-year-old Cody James and 30-year-old Gary Harker, 
and preliminary autopsy reports indicated that both of the men had been struck in the head with a blunt instrument, but the type of instrument used wasn't able to be determined at the time. The initial autopsy also concluded that there were no foreign objects found in either man, so that ruled out the possibility of their injuries resulting from a gunshot wound. Now, Cody and Gary had been best friends since high school. They met each other at Moline High School in Moline, Illinois. In 1979, Gary was living in Rock Island with his wife, and at this time, she was pretty far along in her pregnancy with their daughter. According to Cody's obituary, he had been married to a woman named Vicki Trask 10 years earlier in 1969, but other reports show that he had been living with another woman and her children for some time by December of 1979. So it isn't clear if Cody and Vicki had divorced by this time, and Cody at the time also had a son. It was really difficult to determine where Cody was residing. Some reports say he was residing in Moline, while others say he was living in Decorah, Iowa, and yet others stated he had a residence in Rock Island, Illinois. The two friends were always together, and on Christmas Day 1979, the two had planned to deliver an air compressor in Rock Island and then pick up the payment for the compressor in Davenport. Gary Harker operated a wood carving shop in Moline, and that is supposedly where the two men left from, but it is never released as to what time they were suspected of having left that day. The two hopped into Cody's 1965 black Chevy pickup and headed to Rock Island, Illinois, which is about a 10-minute drive from Moline. According to an article in the Quad City Times, a man named John Chafee was spoken to, and he was the owner of Bridgeway Towing and Tire Service Incorporated. He told investigators that Cody and Gary delivered an air compressor at his business, but Chafee said that he did not purchase an air compressor and he wasn't expecting one to be delivered. Chafee went on to say that Cody and Gary left the air compressor there and whoever had purchased it had picked it up, but it was never reported who that person was or when they grabbed it. Also in the same article, investigators claimed they knew where Cody and Gary went after dropping off the air compressor but declined to release the information of where they went or how they knew that information. What we do know is that the two men were then supposed to make the trip from Rock Island to Davenport, Iowa to pick up a payment of $500 for the delivery, but apparently they never made it to their destination to pick up the payment. It does seem a little odd that they would travel to one town to drop off an air compressor at a business without the owner's knowledge and then drive into another state to pick up payment for that delivery and there is never any explanation behind it. To give you a geographical perspective, Moline, Illinois is only about three miles away or a six minute drive over a bridge to Davenport. So the drive for Cody and Gary from Rock Island to Davenport was roughly a 16 minute drive, give or take a few minutes. So somewhere in that 16 minute drive, the men vanished between Rock Island and Davenport and were never seen alive again. According to reports, the two men disappeared on Christmas day and we do know that Gary Harker was reported missing on December 25th by his wife, Marie, and Cody James was reported missing three days later on December 28th by his girlfriend, Debbie Johnston. At the time Cody vanished, he had been living with Debbie and her two kids for about nine months. I scoured newspaper articles both in Iowa and Illinois, and there isn't a single archive newspaper available that reports on the disappearance of the two men and there were no sightings of them or Cody's truck during that time. So I'm sure you are all asking, how did the truck end up at the salvage yard, right? 
Well, according to police records on February 22nd of 1980, someone living on the 600 block of Iowa Street in Davenport reported what was considered a nuisance vehicle parked on the street, which hadn't moved in some time. So police responded to the call, and when they arrived on scene, they saw a 1965 black Chevy pickup with Illinois plates and a truck bed full of grass and what looked to be evergreen tree branches. They didn't see anyone in the vehicle, so they placed an abandonment sticker on the truck. Based on requirements of city ordinances, if the vehicle remained after 10 days, it would be towed. Police returned on March 3rd and the truck was still parked in the same location and hadn't moved. So it was towed to a local salvage yard called Road and Wrecker Service Yard. The salvage yard had a contract with the city at the time and it was owned by a man named Robert Peppers. From the time the vehicle was placed in the salvage yard, the registration was ran in order to contact the owner regarding the abandoned truck. Now, according to reports, this was done and a certified letter was sent to Cody James at the vehicle's registered address, which was in Moline, Illinois at the time, but it got returned and the vehicle sat. Now, we certainly know that computer databases were literally non-existent in the 80s, but it seems completely asinine that the missing vehicle and the men never came across Davenport Police's attention, even though the men were reported missing. During the time that the truck was sitting in the salvage yard, several milestones had passed. Cody's 31st birthday came and went with no sign of him, and Marie had given birth to her and Gary's daughter. The two friends' birthdays were only about a month apart, so Gary was due to turn 31 at the end of April as well. As we know, Cody James never responded to the abandoned vehicle letter sent by the salvage yard, so after the 40-day required wait to claim the vehicle, it was then placed for sale. According to Davenport Police Chief Kenneth Conlin, he released a statement basically saying that it's not police's job nor responsibility to check the vehicle or clean it. Although this is probably true, it seems like lazy police work to me that the vehicle and owner had not been checked out by police to determine if there had been any missing purports filed, because if they did, then the men would have been found almost two months earlier. Now, you would think that after something like this had happened once, that police and the salvage yard would take additional steps to cover their bases, and make sure it wouldn't happen again, but it wasn't. In fact, this wasn't the first time something like this had happened. Almost exactly three years earlier, on March 25, 1977, the body of Evan Jean Wegner had been found under the back seat of a station wagon in Davenport, Iowa at the same salvage yard. This time, the salvage yard owner, Robert Peppers, purchased the vehicle for $50 from the auction, and he was the one who had found Evan Jean inside the vehicle. An initial autopsy indicated that she had been beaten to death and police issued a first-degree murder warrant for the man who they had found out was living with her at the time she was likely killed, and that man's name was Ronald Barisell. The warrant had been issued in May, and Barisell was later found and arrested in St. Petersburg, Florida in August of that same year. 
According to Baricell's interrogation with police and further autopsy reports, Baricell claimed that he and Mrs. Wegner had been arguing on Christmas Eve of 1976 when she had been struck and killed by another vehicle. He admitted to hiding her body in the station wagon, so police dropped the first-degree murder charges and Baricell ended up pleading guilty to a charge of exposing a dead body and was sentenced to two years in the state penitentiary at Fort Madison. And sadly, that is where the case and information ends. From the research I did, I couldn't find if she had been reported missing by Baricell or the circumstances before or after her death, other than the fact that the whole thing seems awfully suspicious. I also couldn't help but notice the similarities between the two cases. Evan Jean was supposedly killed on Christmas Eve, and Cody and Gary went missing around Christmas. Evan Jean was stuffed into her vehicle and left parked on a residential street until it was towed to the same salvage yard as Cody's truck, and both bodies weren't discovered until they had been sold, not to mention because both occurred around Christmas during some of the coldest months of the year, at least in Iowa, the cold weather probably slowed the body's decomposition, which helped mask the smell and keep the bodies hidden for longer. Baricell was sentenced in October of 1977, so that means he would have likely been out by the time Cody and Gary vanished. But there just isn't enough information on Evan Jean's death to draw any further conclusions, and in all likelihood, it could have just been a very bizarre and tragic coincidence. About two weeks later, on May 13th, police released additional information to the public. They announced that they were looking for three suspects in connection with the murders, but they didn't release any names, and they confirmed that no search warrants had yet been issued in connection to the murders. Police also revealed that Cody and Gary had been killed by blows to the head with a metal wedge, which, for those of you who aren't quite sure what that is, it's a tool that is used to help with tree cutting. Police stated that a metal wedge had actually been found in the bed of the pickup truck with the two men, and after the autopsy findings, it was confirmed that that wedge in the truck was the murder weapon. The head of Davenport Detectives, Captain Murrow Cooper, believed that the slings were likely drug-related and believed that the drug involved may have been amphetamines. According to the Quad City Times article published on May 14th, Gary's wife, Marie Harker, did an interview with the paper, and she knew that her husband had, quote, set up drug deals for other people. Gary knew I didn't want him to be dealing. Mary also went on to say that neighbors in the area of the wood carving shop had gone to Marie and told her that he was dealing drugs out of the shop, but Marie had said those allegations just weren't true. The drug allegations don't seem to be a big shock to the families or community. It seemed everyone knew that Cody and Gary had some involvement in the drug business, and because of that, it was very likely their illegal dealings led to their death. Police had to go back to the evidence to see what they could use to help narrow their search and find the people responsible for the deaths of these two men. And a few weeks later, police announced that they had had a suspected murder site. They claimed the way they were going to find out if they were right or not was by sending in samples of the soil and branches from the bed of the truck to a lab to determine if the natural material came from that location. Police never revealed where this location was or if it had any relation to the three suspects they claim were involved. So police patiently wait, and about two months later, they got the lab reports back, but said that the results of the testing didn't give them any new information, and the lab results revealed everything they pretty much already knew. So this sent investigators back to the drawing board once again. 
and police finally received a very promising lead in the case, but they had no idea that it would take about 24 years for that lead to come. Almost 25 years to the day after Cody and Gary had been last seen alive, in December of 2004, a friend came forward, who remains unnamed, to Davenport Police with pictures, and he told them about 25 years ago, Cody and Gary gave him a roll of film and gave him very specific instructions. They told him, quote, if anything happens to us, develop the film. Prior to their disappearance and subsequent murders, Cody and Gary had serious safety concerns and wanted to be prepared in case something happened to them. I would imagine that because they were involved in drugs, they had to deal with some unfavorable and untrustworthy people, which tells me the person they gave the film to had to be someone that they felt they could really trust and likely someone they knew for a substantial amount of time. So if that is the case, then why did it take so long for this individual to come forward with the photos that he knew would aid the investigation? Well, Detective Greg Keller, assigned to the reinvestigation in 2004, said that Gary and Cody had mostly hung around people who were to some extent involved in drugs. And back in 1979 and 1980, they just wouldn't go to police in fear of retaliation. But now that it has been 25 years, they are more willing to talk to police and hand over any evidence that would help the investigation, which police say isn't something that is completely rare and it happens quite often. Based on the police interview with the victim's friend, the photos he handed over likely included the people involved in the murders and said that a drug supplier was involved. Also, according to Detective Keller, the pair of men would not have been killed without putting up a fight, so it seemed likely that there were definitely multiple people who had a hand in their murders. Prior to the photos being turned over, a tip had come in in February of 2004, which prompted Detective Keller to pull and review the full case file, and he discovered that the case hadn't even been looked at since 1996, so about eight years earlier. In May of 2004, they brought in an evidence technician who had used a chemical process, which was newly developed at that time, and was able to pull a fingerprint off of evidence that had been collected from inside the truck. They also revealed that upon re-examining other evidence in the case, they were able to find both hair and blood samples, which had been previously overlooked. With the photos in hand, detectives got to work and found that the photographs handed over to them were taken in Bolinas, California, which is a village about 30 miles north of San Francisco. They discovered that Cody and Gary traveled frequently to Bolinas for drug supplies, so Davenport police contacted the sheriff's office in Bolinas, which was in Marin County, California. Davenport police sent the pictures to California and the sheriff's department had passed the photos around to retired officers and one of the people of interest in the photographs was able to be identified by one of the retired officers. The photographs were also shared with the Marin County newspaper and they were asked to publish the photos of the unidentified men to get people to come forward with their names. A news article published on December 19, 2004 included the photos of these men, so I will make sure I include these pictures on the Facebook page as well. One of the things that never gets discussed in this case was where police believe Cody and Gary were, or if they thought they were still alive from the time they went missing until Cody's truck was called in in February 1980. But according to the Social Security Death Index, Cody was considered deceased December of 1979, while Gary Harker's death was noted as being January of 1980. It seems most likely that the two were killed 
the same night and hidden somewhere for over a month before someone took the truck, drove it into a residential area, and dumped it, waiting for their bodies to be discovered. In 2013, Gary Harker's name would resurface again when his brother, Dennis Harker's son, David, had also gone missing. On October 2nd of 2013, an article was published by the Rock Island Argus that David hadn't been seen for several days after he had been last seen leaving downtown Moline. In the article, Dennis said he pretty much knows that his brother's death was a drug deal gone wrong, and his son was a pretty heavy drinker but wasn't involved in drugs, so he was hoping that whatever happened to his son, it wasn't under similar circumstances as his brother. The same day that article was released, the search for David would come to an end, and it wasn't the hopeful reunion the family had hoped for. David's body had been found in the Mississippi River, and it was determined after doing some drinking downtown, he had accidentally fallen into the river and drowned. To lose a brother and a son is just too much heartache for me to comprehend, and to have his brother murdered and to have no one be held accountable is even more tragic. Even though 2004 doesn't seem that long ago, it has been almost 18 years since police were finally able to find new evidence in the case, and as of today, we don't know where police are at with the DNA that they have. But with advances in genetic testing, hopefully it could just be a matter of time before the killers of Cody James and Gary Harker are brought to justice. Cody and Gary were two men who had likely made some poor decisions in their life, but they were still human beings and have family and friends who were and still are devastated and heartbroken by their loss. Just because someone's lifestyle isn't perfect doesn't mean their murders need to go unnoticed and without answers. So if you have any information regarding the deaths of Cody James or Gary Harker, please contact the Davenport Police at 563-326-7979 or Detective Keller at 563-326-6189. Thank you for listening to Secrets in the Cornfield. Tune in next week for a new episode. Secrets in the Cornfield is an Anchor original. Sources for this episode can be found in the episode description. You can find Secrets in the Cornfield, Iowa's Unsolved on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. To view pictures related to this case, go to Facebook and search Secrets in the Cornfield podcast and request to join the group. Please make sure that you share these episodes with friends and family in hopes of bringing in new tips and leads to help the families and provide answers.